Welcome to the Communicate for Good podcast, where leaders on a mission to make the world a better place come to talk and learn about how communication, language, and words can help increase awareness, revenue, and impact with less stress and more joy. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and I'm so excited you're here with me. Let's dive right in. Hello, hello. Welcome to or welcome back to the Communicate for Good podcast. I am your host, Erica Barnhart, and I just love that I get to share this conversation uh, with Frank Soma with you. Frank is a gem of a human being, like a gem of a human being. And what's so interesting is we met in a in a business mastermind group for for speakers, and I was always like, how, how you know, anytime I like have time with Frank, I just feel good about myself. And I'm like, that's interesting. Well, this conversation was so illuminating and really heartening because it turns out that some things happened. He shares about this early in his career that didn't make others feel great. And he was, you know, didn't wasn't aware of it. And so, and this says so much about Frank. He he decided he was not okay with that. He discovered neurolinguistic programming, which is a very specific science of connection. And he learned it and he mastered it. And so he shares in this podcast so many gems, tips, tricks, ways of thinking about rapport and persuasion, which is his new his new book that he's working on is on persuasion, which, you know, I think a lot of us have like mixed emotions. And he's very clear that's not about manipulation. It's about coming to agreement. So Anyway, I really, truly love this conversation. I learned so much from Frank. I learn from Frank every time uh, I am blessed to have time with him. If you want to go deeper, dip your toe a little bit further into NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and or you have any questions that are top of mind or heart for you about marketing, communication, leadership, all of the above, be sure to sign up for Claxon's newsletter. That is how you can attend our monthly Ask Me Anything sessions with me. They are the third Thursday of every month from 10 to 11. Show up as you are, uh, whether or not you have a question or not. Wonderful community of uh, people there. So I invite you to join us and it's a perk for newsletter subscribers. So the link to sign up for the newsletter, if you're not a newsletter subscriber, is in the show notes in his klaxon-communication.com backslash newsletter dash sign up. Long, but intuitive. All right. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Frank as much as I did. Without further ado, here you go, my conversation with Frank Soma. I'm very excited today to have with me Frank Soma. Frank is a sales and communication expert, speaker, author, and lifelong charity fundraiser. We are 100% going to come back to that. He holds a degree in what's called NLP, for those who are in the know about NLP, which stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is widely accepted as the, all in caps, communication science. He's been speaking professionally for over 15 years, winning accolades from such notable organizations as DLL Bank, GE, Xerox, and several big associations. His latest book, I love this title, it's so catchy, B2B is really P2P, How to Win with High Touch in a High Tech World. Uh, Selling Super Well has 4.9 stars on Amazon. Um, So that's fantastic. And I want to 
talk about that because I think that the the book and what you have to share in the book, yes, applies to high tech, um, but has much broader applications. Um, Frank hails from the other coast, as we on the West Coast sometimes say. He is from Holmdale, New Jersey. Did I say that right, Frank? Holmdale? You did. Oh, you did. Amazing. Um, and when Frank isn't occupied with one of his businesses, he has a few. He's either raising money for the Coolies Anemia Foundation, out running with his dog, or in the kitchen cooking homemade pasta for his kids and grandkids. Welcome to the show, Frank. I am really delighted to have you here. Oh, my goodness. I'm always delighted to be in any podcast that's reaching out, especially to nonprofit groups. That's where my heart is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as with many of my guests, this conversation could go in a lot of directions, but we're in a probably will. I always like to start with like, so I read the bio, right? Give us the, like, how did you end up being a sales and communication expert? How did you get here, Frank? You know, it's been an interesting, um, it's been an interesting path. So uh, when I, I was a member of the presidential guard uh, way back when I served Carter and Reagan, and I met a guy who, who thought I would be good at sales. And he said, when you come out, interview with me. So I did. And and he gave me a job. And what happened was I started noticing that there were people doing really well and people doing not so well. The old Pareto law, right? 80-20. And it made me start to think about what what's involved with that. So I just began studying. And it's been 40 years of nonstop studying to figure out what makes people seem more trustworthy, more likable, more relied upon? That the catchphrase being charismatic. What does that really mean? And what I found over time uh, and experience is that it's a learnable skill. I mean, to be well liked and trusted is a learnable skill. People look at, you know, those magic people in our lives, right? You see these people that just charm the room all the time. You're like, man, they got it going on. I wish I had that. But you do. You're not lacking it. You might be blocking it, or you may need to learn a little bit. But I believe that everyone can become that kind of a person that other folks rely on. And then when we talk about selling, be it fundraising or commercially, it is the critical component. So speak to perhaps some listeners are like, Right. But if I learn that skill, I may come across, you know, may not be authentic to me. Like, speak to like how you do it, because I know you well enough to know that, you know, you're never going to suggest that people do something without authenticity and integrity. Like you are a person of very high integrity. But I feel like there might be this perception of like, yeah, you learn how to have that charisma, but then you're like out of integrity with yourself. Yeah, I understand that. I come across that a lot with, uh, in fact, the new book I'm working on, has a lot to do with manipulation versus, you know, how, how to be persuasive without being manipulative. And, you know, the way that I think of it is if I learned a little Mandarin before I went to my, on a trip to China, folks there would be really happy that I spoke a bit of their language. And I don't think I'd be feeling manipulative to speak a little Mandarin. Frank, can I interject? Because that's so timely. I was just in Turkey, the country. Um, at the end of 2022, that language, I'm, you know, I'm decent. I'm not amazing, but I speak French and I think if I've been to China, I could like do a little Mandarin, a little, oh my gosh, Turkish. I was, I was a disaster. 
And so I decided once I realized I was like, this was not going to be accessible. And I was only there for, you know, eight days. I decided I would learn how to say thank you. And I'd say it's the only thing I learned how to say because it was so hard. And then it turns out there's like, you know, a bunch of different ways to say it. But that 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 is so resonant because I, you know, for me, gratitude is such a big deal. I know it is for you, too, and for so many listeners. So I'm like, I'm just going to go for literally the one thing that I feel like maybe I have a passing shot at getting okay. It was humbling. It was super humbling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. You know, the, the the idea of being in someone else's world of language. So NLP gets real deep into this stuff with learning predicates, you know, the words that people use and so on and so forth and body language and picking up facial cues and all of these kinds of things. So this is all learnable skill. But what it comes down to, I think mostly and for everybody listening, the thing that we can all do is ask good questions and then listen and be comfortable with a little bit of silence and use our face and body language to encourage other folks to speak more. And what winds up happening is this is the the traits that we think about of uh, charisma are people that make us feel good, right? A friend of mine tells a story, an old story about a woman who who had two suitors and she was going to, she had marriage proposals from both of them And she decided to marry Bill instead of John. And everybody said, well, you know, gee, John seemed like a great guy. Why did you pick Bill instead of John? And she said, you know, when I'm with John, I agree. I think he's the greatest guy in the world. But when I'm with Bill, I think I'm the greatest woman in the world. Oh. So this is what learning charisma is. It's about listening really well, asking more questions. And it's so hard because... You know, some of us are, in NLP, we refer to matches and mismatches, right? There are folks that want to agree and then add to. So if you say you went to Turkey, I might want to relate to that and say, well, gee, that's interesting. You know, I went to Greece once and had the same experience with language or whatever. And it's like a fine line between when am I hijacking the conversation and when am I relating And that's the thing, that's the nuance that I want to teach folks is to be a bit more patient with adding in our own experience and listen and draw out a little bit more. And during that process, people start to think of you as the John in the marriage proposal, right? They feel good about themselves when they're around you. And that's something that's great for all of us. I don't think it's manipulative. It's just, it's it's kind of a, a, an ideal that I want to achieve. I want to be the kind of person that people rely on. I want to be the kind of person that people trust. I want to be the kind of person that people feel good around. And and these are the skills that will get me there. So, so one, for listeners, don't do what I just did about three minutes ago when I interrupted Frank to tell him about my story. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Wait longer. Uh, you know, I'm work in progress on the interrupting for darn sure. Um, and whether my intent, you know, I get excited, which is all well and good. Yeah. The impact can be negative for the person on the receiving end. So I'm just, I, that's very on my radar these days. How, so can you speak a little more to, let's say there's a listener and they're like, okay, I want to be that type of person. And we are not trained really in our culture to listen really well. We are trained, you know, to talk and get our opinions out there. I would say that's also a very white dominant culture in particular. 
And so, like, do you have suggestions for how to just sit back and gain comfort, especially with silence? Silence is very hard in our culture. We do not embrace it. Like, are there questions that you ask yourselves or like specific things that you do to just hold that space and really be okay with it? Well, you know, boy, there, that's, we could unpack that for about three hours, but the, um, you know, the, the quick answers are that I think about questions. Um, I try to ask questions that can't be answered in one word. So I'm conscious of that as a professional fundraiser and salesperson. And as a speaker, I'm selling myself all the time to be able to get to this convention or that convention. Right. So I ask questions that will elicit more than one word. That's one thing that we can practice. Another thing is, is, you know, I'm a meditator. My daughter owns a yoga studio and she's been teaching me to be present and be still. So what, where that comes in is, is when you're speaking to someone is to be where you are. We're often our minds are running right to the next question, the next subject of what we want to add. And I think in your position as an interviewer, you kind of have to do that, right? You, you need to know where we're going next. But generally in conversation, you don't need to know that. So a couple of real basic things, right? Put your phone away. If you're in a public space, much to my dismay, there's likely a display of some kind with news or Kardashians on the screen or something. It makes me crazy. Why can't I sit in the doctor's office and read my book? Why do I have to be barraged with these images and this sound? But anyway, when you're speaking to somebody, sometimes those things are around. Don't look at them. If you meet somebody at a networking event or a cocktail party, don't look past them over their shoulder. Engage them. Look in their eyes. Make eye contact. You know, you know as, I, as I say a lot, of don't, don't hold that eye contact, you know, for 10 seconds like you're an alien trying to bore out their brain. You you know, for a man, you don't want to be creepy, right? Yeah, you don't want to go creepy. Yeah. Right. You want to be attentive. You want to be where you are. So avoid distractions. Be where you are. Ask questions that elicit answers that are more than one word. And and some of the things that you can do, too, is not comment, right? So if if you tell me about your trip to Turkey, I might say, wow, isn't that something? And maybe you'll talk more. Sometimes if you have difficulty having someone speak more, one of the techniques that we use in NLP is called backtracking. And backtracking is nothing difficult. It's repeating the last couple of words of someone's sentence with a question in your voice tone at the end. So if you say, I just went to Turkey, and I say, Turkey? And I'm silent for that beat. You are compelled to tell me more about your trip to Turkey. So if you find yourself in a conversation with someone that maybe isn't so loquacious and you want to bring them to speaking more because of this thing that we're talking about, square up, pay attention, make eye contact, give nonverbal cues, nod your head, smile, grunt, whatever. Make sure that they know you're listening with all of those nonverbal cues. And then you can use a little bit of backtracking when you need to. That is very helpful and very practical. I mean, I think some of these things at first, I just want to acknowledge, may feel awkward. Mm. One of the things I was just working with a client yesterday doing a a big training, we're rolling out new messaging, right? And they saw this messaging in December and everyone was like, looks good, love it. 
Well, now in January, we're like, now you're now now it's time to start using. They're like, whoa, 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 what? And now all of a sudden there are all sorts of things that don't sit right. And so I talk a lot about like just because like as you're learning something new, don't dismiss it just because it's awkward or uncomfortable. Like at least give it enough time to figure out if it's just like new skill building for you versus like that actually doesn't work for me. And that's fair, right? Like some folks may try some of these suggestions and they're like, that just feels always funky to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my advice is always at least try it 10 times and like keep track, like really all in try it and then see on the other side um, what you learn and then you can dismiss it. I'm curious because so many listeners are either big L or little L leaders. So they hold some sort of positional authority in their organizations. What mistakes do you see? I mean, I'm just going to keep using the word leaders, even though it's a little bit lower, but just listeners, big L, little L, you know, what mistakes do you see them make when they communicate? There's a couple of them. I would start with the biggest mistake is believing that you are you to the person you're speaking to. And, and I mean that by, I'm Frank. I'm some knucklehead Italian guy that's making pasta in the kitchen. When I have a conversation with someone, I expect that they, they're seeing me the same way that I'm coming out, of, out through my own eyes. But they're not. When you're in a position of leadership, that person on the other side of the desk, if you will, is filtering by by your big L or little L. So the words that you're saying are not coming across the same way they come out to your best friend, your spouse, you know, whatever. There is a dynamic that you need to be aware of. And I believe that the best way to be aware of that is to offer people the chance to be more relaxed. Start asking them questions. Hey, listen, we're going to talk about XYZ for a minute. Before we get started, what questions do you have? How, what can I answer for you? Start to get them at ease and then take their temperature. Do it a lot, right? If I'm speaking to you about something, Eric, I say, so Erica, it, I feel like we came to a pretty good agreement here. Tell me if it makes sense to you. And you're immediately, you're the subordinate. You're going to go, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then I want to check again. Well, Erica, I, I understand it makes sense on the surface, but what parts of it may not feel right for you? Let, let's talk through it. I want to invite you to object. Because that's the best way for me to draw you out. You know, I learned this way back when a guy named John was, um, you know, like two steps below me in an organization. I had about 100 people that rolled up to me. And John had an issue with something in compensation. So I met with John and we worked it out. I, I asked him what his issue was. I said, okay, well, we can fix it by this, 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 and this. Because I was in charge quick. I got things done. I got Okay, John, makes sense to you? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, great, thanks. Next, that was my attitude. At the end of the day, my partner called me um, and he said, hey man, what happened with John? I'm like, it was great. Went through it, changed his comp, looked good. He goes, no, 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 uh, I saw him. He looked miserable. I pulled him aside, found out what happened. You steamrolled him, man, he, he's very unhappy. Look, what are you talking about? I asked him if it was okay. He said, yes, Frank. When you're in the position you're in, just asking people if it's okay doesn't mean it's okay. That's where I first started to learn this. I had no idea. I thought John took me at my word, but he did. John was looking at the partner in the business dictating, 
I thought we gained agreement. So I think that's that's one of the big mistakes. Another one is not being on your feet. So if you're in an organization, and and this changes a little bit with our virtual world. So I would say, and I'll make that adjustment. But if I'm in an organization and I'm in a position of leadership, I'm walking the floor five or six times a day. I'm off my desk. I'm walking around. I'm not looking for anything in particular. I'm just noticing faces, seeing frustration, seeing happiness, participating in conversations. I'm open. I'm accessible. I'm among folks. I'm not in my office. I know you have a lot of work to do. I know you want to be stuck to that screen. You could do that 16 hours a day for sure, but don't. Get out and be amongst people. In our virtual world, my next best warning will be to quote uh, Anthony Steers, a wonderful, uh, wonderful guy's uh, from London and terrific. He's, his moniker, Erica, is the, he's called the telephone assassin. How great is that? He's like a cold cold. He teaches people how to cold call. But what Anthony says is email will get off your desk, but it won't get it done. Oh, say that again, Frank. Say that one more time. Anthony says email will get it off your desk, but it won't get it done. Okay, that's important. Understand. And I love that quote because if you then go to the brilliant professor, uh, Vanessa Bonds, who wrote a great book, I think it's called Persuasion or Persuasive, something like that. Best-selling book, fantastic. You know, she went and proved that scientifically when she had folks make a request in person and the same request in email by phone versus email was 63 to 33. And then in person versus phone was the 86 to 13, which means I can't even do the math what in person versus email is. So we are social creatures. Email is quick, it's easy. We do live in a world that there's a lot of texting. And if I have folks that prefer that, I have no problem using all of those tools. I want us all to remember that we are social beings and the science says, I am more likely to gain agreement with you if I see you. So in today's virtual world, that could mean a Zoom call. It could mean a personal visit. The next place down on the hierarchy is a phone call. So if you're working to raise funds in an organization and you have some donors that you want to reach out to, Boy, it's certainly easier to send an email blast. And I do believe you should be doing email, you know, timed emails and solicitations that have some science to the uh, cadence of those things. But at the same time, you've got to be more personal. And that may mean you incorporate video of the folks that you're helping. It may mean that you get on a video call. It may mean that you see folks in person. And I think I appreciate you sort of saying it's an and. Right. So, you know, in the framework that I talk about, communicate for good, I invite people to think about it like an infinity symbol, right? The dynamic to manage between internal communication, starting with the words in your brain to external communication and marketing, right? And they're actually all related. We try to do this cute thing where we're like, external communication, totally separate. And it's not. But I just, for listeners, want to flag that what Frank's talking about is to a certain extent calibrating your own style to that of the people, you know, that you're looking to connect with that are on your team and within the organization. And that is in addition to, so complementary to the maybe external communication, especially around fundraising and marketing that you may be doing. So it's a, it's an and, 
Although don't do yeah. too many things. I've really been on a bender about doing less and that pruning is the best thing you can do to your marketing in particular. So it's an and, and still work the method, be clear on what success looks like, who your target audience is. I want to go back. These are This is so practical and so helpful, Frank. For folks who have heard this word now, NLP, NLP a few times, can you give us broad strokes? Because it is a deep scientific method. Like there's a lot to NLP. <laughs> I am like a, I'm a I'm an NLP neophyte. I would say I'm somebody who studied communication for you know decades, and I'm like, whoa, that's deep, and that's deep, and whoa. So broad brushstrokes. What is it, and why is it so important and effective? I mean, it goes back into the 1960s. These two scientists, Bandler and Grinder decided that they wanted to help therapists to be better therapists. And what they did is they took people who were in rapport. And you've seen this, right? You hear these anecdotes. You notice how they start to look like their dog, you know, because they've been together so long. And you see that with married couples that are together, right? They Or even in teenagers. I This is the thing I see all the time with teenagers. You see, they begin to use each other's expressions. And your kid comes home saying something all the time because, you know, his friend next door, who's his bestie, is saying this all the time. This is rapport. When we are in rapport, we are trying to be more like the person we are in rapport with. That's what's constantly trying to be more like each other. Why Why are we trying to do that, Frank? I totally agree with that. By the way, bruh would be a word that I now, anybody who has like i don't even how to spell that bruh okay don't say don't use it when we're conversing though we are not in rapport around bruh anyway why is that like that happens i think we can all acknowledge that why does it happen why do we do that i don't know i mean that is what rapport is rapport is people who really like one another and the more you like somebody you're seeing the characteristics in them that you like and you're adopting those for yourself and that's happening back and forth all the time in this two-way communication. So what these guys did is they looked at people who were in rapport and they started noticing the things that they did and they broke down those processes into minutia. And I mean minutia, like they talk about the outer canthus of your eye moving this way, the inner canthus, like crazy, crazy minutia, which I, you know, I probably use 20% of what these folks develop, but it's, it's being aware, right? So noticing breathing patterns in folks. Let me just give you a really quick story. So again, Jim, my partner in the business, who was built as an intuitive, and I was built as a my head in the clouds, right? So we're two completely different people, which is why we did well together, I guess. But anyway, we came back into the office one day, and our offices were upstairs, and the receptionist was downstairs. And as we walked in, I said, hey, Michelle, to the receptionist. And Jim said, hey, Michelle. And Michelle waved to both of us and we went upstairs. And Jim said, oh, my, I've got to talk to Michelle. I said, okay, what's up? Oh, something's very wrong. Very wrong with what? Well, didn't you see her face? I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, there's something going on. Like, and you got that from saying, hey, and she said, hey, back? He's like, it was written all over I had no idea anything was written on her. I said, hello. She said, hello. And that was the end of it. But I was not tuned in. I was not. Jim did this naturally. He still does. 
So I went to NLP because I wanted to learn what he did naturally. And NLP is this kind of heightened awareness of what Jim saw in Michelle. You're seeing color fluctuations. You're seeing eye movements. You're seeing breathing patterns. You're seeing shoulders up. It's far beyond the crossed arms thing that has become so famous with body language. You know, there's so much more to it. I learned a little bit more from, do you, do you uh, what's his name now? Joe, it'll come to me. FBI guy, negotiator, Joe Navarro. So he had a great course, right? I take his course on body language because it flies right in with NLP and I'm listening. And Joe says, the feet never lie. The feet never lie. If you're in love with someone and your feet touch in bed and they repel, you got problems in your relationship, right? This is what Joe Navarro says. So I'm like, this guy's the FBI negotiator, body language guy. He must know what he's talking about. So he's still talking about how, you know, feet, can tell a story and that if you're talking to somebody at a cocktail party and their feet angle away from you, conversation's over, they want to leave. And he also said that people don't cross their feet unless they're very comfortable. He said, if you get an elevator, you'll notice there are no crossed feet because you know, you're not squared up, right? You're with people you don't know in close proximity. So you want to be squared up, feet solid, shoulder width part kind of thing. So I'm like, okay, I've taken all this in. I just learned it. I go to this cocktail party and I talk to this person who I've seen a dozen times before, super gregarious, wonderful, wonderful woman named Barbara. And I could still picture Barbara's in a red dress, red shoes, Christmas party. And we start talking and I see Barbara cross her ankles. So I just learned this Navarro stuff. And I go, well, Barbara must be very comfortable with me. She crossed her feet. Let me see if I can make her uncomfortable. So I point my feet away from the conversation and look past her for a second. Boom, her feet uncross instantly. I'm like, isn't that something? I mean, it was a little, it's a little devious what you did. Uh, yeah, there. so it was very deep. So then I do it again. So then I pay close attention. I lock eyes with her. I ask her questions. She crossed her feet again at the ankles. I'm like, holy crap. I point my feet away. I look past her. Boom, she uncrosses them. The bad part of this whole thing is that to this day, I have no idea what Barbara and I talked about because I was so new at learning body language. I couldn't do it like, you know, when you're driving your car and you can go to the brake without thinking, I have to go to the, I wasn't there yet. So I was so focused on this new learning that I didn't pay attention. But what NLP wants to do is it wants to teach you to pick up the color changes, the facial expressions, the eye movements, the breathing patterns, the feet crossing and uncrossing as a part of your outer consciousness, right? Like when you're driving and you're processing all of these bits of information, but not necessarily con consciously, right? You can still focus on the road. So that's the kind of comparison I can give is that when you if you practice this stuff enough and you look for it as you speak to people, it'll become a natural part of what you're doing. And it won't be natural initially, just like you were sort of obsessing over Barbara's feet but over time, and, and again, to your initial point about charisma, about connection, about rapport, this is learnable. And, you know, I think it's a really important expansion of any leader, leader's toolkit. And it requires a level of presence that is, you know, sort of above average in our society. Sure. I think that's part of it is that you know, we've, we've come to accept this idea that it's okay 
in the middle of a conversation for me to say, well, just let me, hold on one second, I just got to send this text. You know, a lot of folks will listen to this and say, well, he's an old guy, so he doesn't get it. That's what the world is today. And, you know, okay, I'll accept that. It, that may well be that, you know, the world will never be what it, what I'd like to see in terms of folks' attention to one another when they're conversing. I can only say that I won't participate. Yeah. Well, that's your boundary, right? We talk a lot about boundaries on this. I also think that there's a way, this is, this is particularly generational. So, uh, you know, if you are supervising folks that are in different generations, you know, you can ask, you can decide, and it doesn't have to be across the board. Uh, you can decide with each individual that reports to you that you're in rapport with, like, what are our, you know, what is this going to look like? Are we okay busting out our phones? I mean, I will say with Gen Z, who's just now getting into the workplace, they are so efficient. Like they're, you know, so if it's a quick task, their default setting is like, I'm just going to handle it right now. Whereas Gen Xers and above, like, it's just not as efficient. And so I think those are, as long as you have the conversation prior. Sure. Like respectfully in advance, work through the hypotheticals. And then when it comes up, you know, you've already had the conversation could say, hey, do you remember when we talked about that? You know, we and we agreed, and this gets back to your point about agreement, which I really think is an important theme. We don't we don't talk a lot about like true agreement, not just like I'm saying yes, but like true agreement, which is about belonging and feeling seen. And so that has, that has a long tail. Those those feelings have a long tail. I want to make sure that we hear about your book with the very clever title and also the Coolies Anemia Foundation. What was the inspiration for writing B2B is really P2P? What does that mean? What was the inspiration? I mean, business to business is really person to person because I love technology. I have two different CRMs. I have an assistant who lives in Pakistan. You know, I love technology. I love it. I use it to my advantage all the time. And I never want to forget that people do business with people they like and people they trust. That's that. And I need to always remember that lesson. So I saw people believing that they could send 5,000 emails out and become the number one salesperson in their business. I saw organizations believing that the technology could replace the people. And it's a tough line for me because just like I was saying before, as I'm not a Gen Xer, I'm not a Gen Zer, as an as a older person, People dismiss the science because I'm not hip enough to understand, which is why I start that with my assistant in Pakistan and we work through Fiverr and my two different CRMs that I use and my marketing campaigns that happen in different cadences automatically from my website and collecting my lead magnets and blah, blah, blah. I like the technology. I don't want us to forget that people want to do business with people. And it's what I go out to teach all the time, the science of report, how to meet somebody. Do you know, Erica, how many people don't know? How, I will challenge anybody listening to think about this for a minute. Have you ever met someone that you just didn't really like? There wasn't anything. They didn't say anything. Nothing like that. Just for whatever reason, upon saying hello, shaking hands, you went, yeah, I don't really like that person. I'm going to tell you that they didn't pay attention 
to meeting. They didn't square up, make eye contact, shake hands, lean it. We, you know, we have a thing in NLP, open eye beam, high lean. You're open. You make eye contact. You smile. When you go to shake hands, you lean in just slightly to be a bit intimate. You know, not so much that you're a Jerry Seinfeld close talker, but just like slightly to get into somebody's space that conveys a sense of intimacy. If you pay attention during that time, it makes a difference. So it's really what the reason I wrote the book is because I've seen very, very many successful people. I interviewed several for the book, and it seemed like this is what was in common, is the technology is there for us and we need to use it. It doesn't replace when it comes to fundraising, business development, relationships, relationships, relationships. It matters a great deal. I mean, even if you think about to get, you know, blue zone people, right? Live longer. Why do they live longer? Relationships. It's about community relationship more than diet, more than anything else, you know? I mean, I just read um, a study where people are more likely to have a second heart attack. People who've had a heart attack, if you're socially isolated, you're more likely to have a second heart attack. And it mattered, it, it weighed in heavier than sleep, diet, or exercise. It's crazy. The former well, United States, I forget the exact title, which is Surgeon General. Mm. When he stepped down, that was his research was on loneliness. Yeah. How devastating it is. It makes me think of how going back to your like technology is just never going to replace that personal connection. I don't know if you were in the in the charity space way back when, when the donate now button made its way into the nonprofit sphere. And at the time I was working for an organization and we put technology know-how into the hands of nonprofits. And so we were, not me, because I was doing the communications, but others, our consultants were, you know, we were making it possible for people to give online. And nonprofits, I mean, we really were like, just like waiting for the gold rush as if the technology was the reason you know, and I think about Case Ringeray saying people give through you, not to you as an organization, right? So you're like, you're a conduit for that. Uh, you know, if you're in a fundraising or development um, position and uh, I'll never forget like adding the donate now buttons and like, you still got to go do the things. You got to make the connection then. And of course, people were like, I don't trust that. There were lots of reasons why it wasn't happening. But you're spot on. And it's such an important point because the donate now button is essential. My ability to subscribe and automatically give X amount of dollars every month in perpetuity because it's attached to my credit card, whatever. Those are important bits of technology that help my organization to raise more money. I just did, um, I, I formed the fundraising committee with Closinemia Foundation. You know, I'm on the board and, and on the executive committee, but I formed the subcommittee to look at fundraising. What we came down to is all of these various, we'll send we have patient videos and so on and so forth. Coolers anemia uh, is thalassemia, is the disease worldwide. And it's the inability to create healthy red blood cells. So our patients have to get a transfusion every two weeks for life, a blood transfusion every two weeks for the rest of your life. And when you get a blood transfusion every two weeks, your body takes on a ton of iron. You don't have any way to get rid of iron. It taxes the heart and the liver. And back when I first learned of this disease 40 years ago, or so, um, our patients didn't make it to 12, 16, 17 years old because their hearts and liver 
would succumb to iron overload. Today, we have drugs that take a lot of the iron out. You know, it's too many other things to talk about with other problems that go wrong and why we still lose patients earlier than uh, than we could if if you know all of the all the treatments and stuff were were being used and worked. But what what in that committee, what we learned was we we had videos of patients. So we engaged people with stories, videos, emails, etc. And then we connected with them at events and met personally. All of this is allowing someone to click the donate now. But I guess what we're getting down to you and I is that I can't form a a new charity organization, put up a website, add a donate now button, send it out to 10,000 people and expect to make bank. Not going to happen. However, if I do invest myself personally and connect with stories and with people on a on a one to one or a one to many personal level, the donate now button will be used because I did the other work. Yeah, I mean, technology can reduce friction, right? And we we live in an era where we expect frictionless transaction experiences. Like, I want to need a new pair of running shoes. I expect to be able to have those exactly the ones I want, right? Just like that, super easy. And when that's the bar. That's the bar. And it doesn't, you know, really matter if you're a nonprofit or, you know, what the tax status is. That's that is the user experience that people are expecting. So it's sir, it plays a really important role. And it's a, you know, complement to the fundamental work of relationship and rapport. Frank, anything that you want to share with listeners that we haven't covered off on? I think we covered a lot of ground. And it's, you know, the emphasis is always for me on leaning into the technology, but not leaning on the technology. Ooh, into, not on. Oh, I like that. That's, that's kind of where I want folks to be. Yeah. I want you to go out and raise funds or do your business development or any of these things that you need other people. And, you know, interesting in, in Dan Pink's book, um, Not Regret, the one before that, uh, I think it was To Sell as Human. Uh-huh. At the, one of the largest surveys of office workers and 48 p- people that answered the survey turned out that 48% of their time was spent selling, non-selling people, 48%. Now selling meaning getting other folks to part with resources in order for you to accomplish what you have to accomplish. So we're all in this persuasion game all day, all the time. And getting better at it is just smart. Yeah. I always like to close by asking about inspiration and motivation. So inspiration, etymologically speaking, means to take in breath, to breathe. And motivation is about doing. What keeps you inspired and what keeps you motivated to do all of this wonderful work that you do? You know, that's hard. I just, I don't know if I could put a finger. I love it. I can't read enough, learn enough. It just, it's every day. I'm learning more and more about it and trying to get a little bit better at it and seeing some good results, you know? Tell you that a person that I worked with is now the president of my foundation and he's a patient. And it's the first time we've had a patient as the president. I can remember being able to see the leadership qualities in this young guy 
and talking with him. And, and he said to me, boy, you mentored me so much to get to this spot. And it's not about me mentoring, but um, that's the juice, right? Is seeing a result like this that we never, ever even dreamed of. And here it is. So yeah, I don't, I just love this stuff. I do. I want to close by reading a quote from you for listeners, because I think it encapsulates a lot. You say, you have everything you need inside of you to do whatever it is you desire. You aren't lacking, but you may be blocking. The only two ingredients in any success are working and learning, and no one does it alone. Frank, I started by saying this, you were so generous with your time and making sure that folks are not learning all of this alone. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, sharing tons of wisdom and tips and tricks. And I think it's one thing to talk theoretically about things, but I always appreciate it when uh, when a guest really lands it with, like the foot thing, I'm going to be obsessing about that. Of course, my mind, like, I sort of have this visual, like the people when they are in person are going to be like, I really want to look under the table to see what they're doing with their feet. You know, like during the meetings, it could it could just back to awkward. It could get real awkward. So maybe keep that to a minimum. Um, but thank you really sincerely for all the work you are doing to make our world a better place and for making sure that we don't have to walk the path alone. My pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah. As always, listeners, do good, be well, and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Communicate for Good podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would right here, right now, go rate and review the podcast. Your review will help even more purpose-driven leaders, teams, and organizations learn how to use words to change the world. To find more ways that communication can help you increase awareness, revenue, and impact, head on over to www.claxon.communicationnos.com.